Thank you, Peter, for leading us in worship. Shall we continue our worship this morning, opening the scriptures together, and we'll pick up and continuing our series in Second Corinthians. And the text is up on the screen for you to find that out. We're going to pick up at verse 11 and go through to the end of verse 15. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. This is the word of God through the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance, by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you entreated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? May God add a blessing to his word this morning. I guess if we look at society, one of its failures and probably the failure that heads the top of a big list would be a lack of wise discerning and honest leadership. And as a result of this, people are left with very little to come and go on when they come to put their votes in the ballot box. I guess there's no country that knows this so well as the United States at the moment, right? Strengths and moral character, ethics and honesty, the very foundation, the very things that people want to see in leaders, sad to say, has all but gone. And too often leaders are not what they should be and certainly not what people want them to be. And so all we can do is listen to their spin stories and their promises and their derision of the opposing parties which they hope will give them a popularity edge against the opposition members. But the amazing thing is this political ruse used by wannabe leaders works. It does, it really works. Because undiscerning and gullible people are are, are numbed to these wannabe leaders' moral and ethical shortfalls. They are numbed to that and they're seduced into thinking that these character-flawed people will produce for them what they want and what they need. Folks, this is exactly what was going down in Corinth. Unqualified, dishonest, 
and deceitful men had crept into the community of believers and with their fancy rhetoric, their cover-ups and their rising opinion polls, they led large numbers of this assembly in Corinth astray. Led them astray from the truth of the gospel, led them astray from the true apostolic leadership given to them by God himself. They were led astray from a leader that had won them to Christ through the gospel, who had spent close on two years nurturing them in the faith, one who loved them like a father does his children. And here in this text we have read today, the spiritual father of the assembly, the church at Corinth, the spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, what he does is he confronts these gullible, misguided malcontents with the true roots of his apostolic credentials. He wants these remaining rebels, because if you'll remember, a large part of the assembly in Corinth had repented and had returned to their love to the Lord and returned to their a, uh, loyalty to the Apostle Paul, but there were still some remaining on the edge. And so these are the ones that the Apostle Paul is addressing. And so he wants these remaining rebels in Corinth to be reminded that he was truly God's man sent among them. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, so far we've been looking at chapter 10 to 12. He's been boasting of his weaknesses, right? He's been putting forward his times of humiliation. Rather than promoting like the false leaders would have been, their strengths. He doesn't promote his strength and his human credentials and his degrees, etc. But he puts forward his weaknesses and his humiliation. Because Paul strongly advocates that God's effective power in the gospel works through the weakness and humility of men. But now he has finished with what he has often called foolish boasting. He's finished with that. He's done with it. Because now we see a change in the thrust of this letter. Now Paul confronts the Corinthians with their failures. He focuses attention not so much on himself, but on their failures of recognizing true godly leadership when they had it. Now you may say, what in the world has this got to do with us in 2016? It has much to do really with us who live in an evangelical climate where all sorts of stuff are going down and being promoted. Men and women in the church are being blown about by every wind of doctrine, as the apostle calls it elsewhere. A day when so much of the church, even in this day, is being seduced and numbed by the false teachings of personal opinion, by liberalism or by the charismatic movement where its leaders sway by the hundreds and thousands gullible people, undiscerning people, people who are not willing to be Bereans and check out whether these things are so. People are being swayed. Not with the word of God like it should, they should be swayed, 
but with the persuasion of experience. You ever heard of that? I even heard this morning I was sharing with some with our theology class. I didn't know whether I was going to mention this. I heard this morning from a very well-known public speaker who lives in this country. I won't go any further than that. was talking about how you need to be invected with the Spirit. I didn't even know what the word invected means until Alex looked it up on Google. Thank you, Dr. Google. But you need to be invected with your spirit and has the idea of kind of blowing yourself up and then by being invected with the spirit, your dreams can become bigger than you and you can do greater things than you can ever imagine. That was his message. Nothing about giving glory to God. He loved this word invected. I hope I forget it forever. Anyway, the push is persuasion through personal revelations from God even. We hear this today, don't we? And healings. And so we have these healings meeting. Even likes of speaking in tongues, there's this personal experience that persuades people. And we have what we call modern day prophets or apostles as they sometimes call themselves. They parade their own ideas, their own strengths, their own expertise, their own rhetoric and even claim some of them to have a direct voice from God. They are seducing thousands to follow after the lies of the devil. Just like it happened in ancient Corinth. Nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new under the sun. And so can I ask you this morning to consider the failures of the Corinthians? That may sound super negative, but sometimes that's how the Apostle Paul puts it. I want you to consider the failures of the Corinthians so that we don't fall into the same trap. And secondly, on the positive side, let us, as we look at this text this morning, as we go through it, let us cultivate an attitude and and a motive that we see in the Apostle Paul who also lived amid so much deceit and lies and false doctrine, okay? So let's look at the failures, but also let's look at the motives and the attitude uh, in the Apostle Paul so we can cultivate that. And so what is the first failure that the Apostle Paul pounces on? The first failure he pounces on is a failure to recognize God appointed a leadership. We see this in verse 11. As I said before, Paul's boasting is pretty much all done here, but he does want to labor the point just to make sure that people get the point that his boasting in the last two chapters of his weaknesses and also that, that vision and revelations from the Lord that we looked at last week has been foolish. And he equates boasting to what the boasting of the false prophets had been. As a matter of fact, he sees himself as having become a fool. A bit of sarcasm in here. Paul's allowed to do that because all he said and wrote was inspired. So we can call this inspired car sarcasm. And so he says, I've become a fool for using such tactics in order to get his message across. And so Paul understood that using his personal experience as credentials to commend himself or to prove his divine appointment was not God's way. Because he understood in verse 9, as he says, for his power, that's God's power, is perfected in what? weakness and so that's who Paul boasted in that's what he boasted in in his weaknesses he's even stated that 
gaining the, com- that gaining the confidence of people through boasting was not how the Lord would have done this. He says that in chapter 11, verse 17. The Lord wouldn't have handled matters in such a way. And so throughout all this, Paul was very reluctant to parade himself in any way. Why? For fear that the people will credit him with more than they heard or saw in him. We saw in that in verse 6 of this chapter. That's what he says. He didn't want that. He didn't want people to credit him with more than they heard or saw in him. And so Paul held and taught that our only boast was to be in who? The Lord, right? We have that in chapter 10, verse 7, right through to 18. But under such pressure and out of deep concern for how the Corinthians had rejected the gospel and his divinely appointed apostleship, Paul does resort to this foolish boasting to defend the ministry. In other words, the conduct of the assembly and the attitude and the response of the believers toward him drove this God-appointed apostle to reluctantly use such impotent tactics. And Paul doesn't hold back on reminding them about this. This is what he says. You yourselves compelled me. You have that in verse 11. In other words, Paul was forced to boast because the Corinthians did what? They did not stand up and do it for him. They are the ones who should have commended him. They are the ones who knew Paul. They are the ones who were saved through his ministry, who had sat under his teaching, who saw his sacrificial love for them over and over and over. They are the ones who should have commended him. But what was their response? What was their response when these deceitful teachers came in and derided Paul? They questioned the Apostle Paul's authority and they called to question his motives. They, they refuted his teaching. What did these people do? They remained silent. You see that? They remained silent. They were numbed into indolence and apathy. This is when they should have stood up and stood firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is when they should have commended Paul because what had he done? He had only proved himself over and over as an authentic apostle among them. These people lack backbone to stand for the truth. And as such, a lot of people who lack backbone, they became, they became easy targets for false teaching and were then blown about themselves by every wind of doctrine. Paul says, and let me paraphrase this, I should have been commended by you. But you failed in recognizing that I was God's appointed apostle sent specifically to you. And we know that he was, remember? Remember that he went to Corinth and he was, oh, wow, this is too difficult. I'm going to get out of here. But the Lord appeared to him in a vision. You can see this in 1 Corinthians real early in the first chapter, I believe it is. And, or, or in the book of Acts, I should say. Acts, where he goes to Corinth. And then the Lord appeared to him in a vision and he says, I have much people for you, much people in this city. And so as a result of that revelation from God, he stayed there. Specifically sent to them. And he says, but you know I was. Because you were saved through the gospel that I preached. 
And he refers elsewhere, he, and, and let me carry on with this paraphrase, because this would have been going through their minds, he would have intended it, you were miraculously changed, because this is what you once were. You were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, swindlers, and such were some of you, and it goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, 10, 11, and says, but now you are washed and set apart by God and justified by God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. They knew that possible. Paul was truly sent amongst them. So how come you did not stand up and speak up and commend me? And Paul continues on here at the end of verse 11 with one, one, one more rebuke. And let me paraphrase this. Although I am a nobody really, he says, although I'm a nobody really, you know by your salvation experience and the time I spent with you that I am not in any way less or inferior to these so-called super-apostles that have tickled your ears. You see, folks, as beneficials of Paul's ministry, they should have commended him, right? They should have spoke up, but instead they shut up. Then their sin of silence, it doesn't end there, you know. You know what sin is. One sin doesn't stay by itself, right? Attracts another sin, attracts another sin, attracts another sin. Then their sin of silence attracted other sins and then this monster grew that was aided by the false teachers which caused this man of God so much spiritual pain as we have read something of in these last two chapters. My dear people, lessons can be learned from this, okay? Godly leaders can be saved from so much turmoil and grief if their people stand up and actively commend or honour them when it is due. You got that? The elders of this church, your leaders whether you like it or not, are appointed by the Spirit of God according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Yes, you have a part. But if we believe what the Bible says, Acts 20 and 28, elders of the church, godly churches, Bible-believing churches are appointed by God. They are God's men given to this church until the Lord moves them on by his providential means or they disqualify themselves. So when they are maligned, like Paul was, when they are spoken ill of, perhaps, or if their character is slighted or assassinated in some way by someone, can I suggest be very careful not to remain silent and just sit on the fence and dig your head in the sand over the matter because it's a serious thing to speak out against or say nothing when that assassination has taken place. Either stand up and commend them, speak up in their defence, recognise them as God's appointed leaders over your souls. In other words, give honour where honour is due. Or... If what you hear against an elder has an element of truth, albeit maybe hearsay and you're not too sure, again, don't say nothing. Don't remain silent. 
Obey the scriptures, Matthew 18. Take that person along and speak to the one concerned. Get it out in the open and clear it and confront the elder. This is what I have heard. What have you got to say for yourself? It's amazing amount of pain and grief that kind of, if we obey the scriptures even in that regard, can save the elders of a church. But whatever you do, don't go silent. Rather, in most occasions, you should be commending them. There's benefits for you and also to the church in this, you know. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as though who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Paul calls the church in 1 Thessalonians 5.12-13, to 13, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. So, let us recognise God's appointed leadership. The second failure of the Apostle Paul brings out here is failure to recognise God's power on display. And, and we see this in verse 12. The observant reader will notice how Paul shifts from recognising himself as a nobody in verse 11 and then he shifts to the other end of the spectrum and he points the reader to God's miraculous power manifested in signs, wonders and miracles. You see that? And we can also note how Paul carefully takes a passive role in all this. For example, he does not say, look, when I was among you, you saw how I performed signs like any true apostle. No, he doesn't say that. But rather he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. You see that? And by saying it like this, and by gently putting it like this, he is attributing the miraculous done through him to God and not to himself. He's very careful not to take any credit for that sort of thing. Now that's very different from what we would see from a lot of people who hold themselves up to be a healer or a or whatever today, isn't it? No, no, he's very careful not to uh, not to do that. And um, and so, but what was their failure on the part of the believers here? What was their failure? It was simply this: they failed to recognise that God on this occasion, was authenticating his messenger and his message through the signs that were performed by the apostles. They failed to recognise that. Remember Jesus and his ministry, his ministry and his message was also authenticated by what? By the signs that he did. We read that in John chapter 20 from verses 30 to 31. The ministry of the 12, of the 12 apostles plus Paul, all were uniquely commissioned by Christ were also authenticated by miraculous signs. This was the actual spiritual benchmark. It was a gift that was unique to these foundation apostles. That's why we don't have apostles today in the true sense of the word as we have here in the scriptures in the early church. There are many. It's another sermon by itself. 
the sign of a true apostle, the signs of a true apostle was, first one is that they all saw Jesus in the flesh, right? And even Paul, remember, he was caught up in a vision and he, and he, and he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. He saw Christ. So there's no such thing as apostolic succession. Like many religious people would claim today, or apostles, as we see in these originals. These apostles here that we, Paul is referring to, in which he was one of, were the foundation of the church, according to Ephesians 2.20. They were foundation apostles. They were like the foundation of the church in the fact God used them to authenticate his gospel and to authenticate the message, in other words, to get the church rolling, as it were. They were foundation. You read Ephesians 2.20, it'll be very clear to say that. Christ being the cornerstone the, and, uh, and the apostles, the, the foundation when it came to their human input. We also see, need to note here that we have three things mentioned. We understand that the signs and, and wonders and miracles, you see that? It's not speaking of three kinds of miraculous phenomena. No, not speaking of three kinds of... It's just speaking of, of one... It's just speaking of miraculous action, actually. And so what this refers to is that the miraculous action that was performed by the apostles, and in this case the apostle Paul... It was authenticated by the apostles and their message. And of course, what would this supernatural action do? It would produce awe. It would produce wonder amongst the people. So there's your signs and wonders. And so much so that these people were caught up in this wonder when, when various miracles in God's power was performed. And this is what Paul was involved in when he first went to Corinth. When he first went to evangelize Corinth, he was involved in this. Despite the ongoing opposition which he suffered. Remember when he first went there in the, in the book of Acts, I think it's 18, he, he had a terrible time, was about to turn, turn tail and head out of here. No, you stay here. Two years later. And so he, had a, he, he suffered. The trials and persecutions and humiliation. And just as we've read, this ongoing thorn in the flesh. And so the, th- the signs of an apostle were, were made plainly evident to the people and they continued to be displayed. That's why it means with all perseverance. Amidst all the difficulty, the signs of the apostle were continuing to be displayed by God's mighty power. In other words, the Corinthians, the believers themselves, had no excuse for not seeing that Paul was a true blue apostle despite the difficult circumstances and the tragedies and the upheavals and the humiliation he suffered. Because, see, what happened is the false teachers would basically have the idea that many modern false prophets would say that it should all be about success. If bad things happen, that's a sign that God is not with you. And lots of bad things happened to the Apostle Paul, right? Lots of bad things happened. So Paul refutes that. It seems that the Corinthians, like many today, wanted to see more of the triumphant stuff. More of the miraculous. More of the experiential. More of the, of the positive buzz and feel-good activities. Because they, they failed, they refused to recognize God's power is displayed, what? Amid suffering. 
failed to recognise that amidst all the trial and persecution, hence with all perseverance. You see, the crown and the cross go hand in hand, folks. It never has changed. Generally speaking, Paul's preaching had a negative effect. You know that? Just track his missionary journeys. If he wasn't thrown out of town, he was being stoned, he was causing riots, causing division. Super negative effect. Jesus' preaching was a little bit like that too, you know. I think we had on Tuesday night. It causes division. Father against mother and son against father, daughter against mother. That's what happens, right? Some of you will know what it's like when you come to faith and your unsaved spouse is there. There's a division. There's not unity. And there sometimes there can be tremendous difficulties within families when we come to Christ and the, and the rest of the families are not. And, and it's, I, I can only imagine how horrible it would be. And so these people were, were kind of like the thrill seekers during Jesus' ministry, remember? Thousands followed him. 5,000 men he fed one day, miraculously. You know the story. People were coming to him in droves to be healed. Some have said that during Jesus' three years of ministry, sickness and disease were virtually eradicated right throughout the land of Palestine. After all, who wouldn't? I guarantee you if Sharon was living that day, she wouldn't be going to the doctor. She'd be just going to see Jesus heal me of this parathyroid problem. And it would have been done. You'd go for miles seeking this. But when he started teaching, what happened? Read John chapter 6. When the hard truths came down, it says they all left him. And he turns around to his own disciples, will you also leave me? Praise the Lord. But to Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So here the Corinthians, we had some thrill seekers as well. They were in for the bars. But when the going got tough, they left them in droves. They left the, uh, the they um, they were like those who left Jesus in droves. You see, the people loved the signs, but the message they saw the message as being negative and unnecessary. And so the Corinthians also wanted to see more of the miraculous. They ended up. What did they end up doing? Of course they saw the Apostle Paul's miracles that he performed, etc. And no doubt some of the other apostles. They, they saw that. And, um, and so what they ended up doing, because they had this wrong spirit and wrong appreciation of who the Apostle Paul was himself and the message that he brought, they ended up magnifying the signs of apostleship, but their, this fleshly focus degenerated the true messenger and the message. The man of God and his message of the cross was put in a lower place. In other words, they wanted the glitz and the glamour in the show without taking on board and persevering with the inevitable suffering, trial and persecution that would come their way. They didn't want that. They wanted the glory without the cross. My dear people, we live in a day when large sections of the church is caught up in hype and the glory of motivational sound bites, ear-tickling messages, feel-good music and visual display, right? You know that. I had someone come here last week and say in jest, he was only joking. But he says, but Jeff, 
You've got it all the wrong colour. It should be black and charcoal and, and strobe lights and all this sort of thing. You've got it all wrong. <laughs> I love this sarcasm. Almost inspired car sarcasm, but not quite. I love the guy. We know one another well. And so the cry today is, give us more of the spectacular. Give us more of the positive, right? And in this environment, people fail to recognize that the glory and the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ is inextricably linked with suffering and shame and sacrifice and dying to self and being slaves to righteousness. They don't want to know that. In this environment, people fail to recognize that God's power is displayed through his preached word by his appointed messengers. Folks, may we never allow the spectacular, the seeking after signs to blind us to the truth of God's almighty power in the gospel. Amen. Amen. May we learn to recognize not only that those who are gifted to the church to dispense the God's miraculous power in the gospel, may we, may, may we always recognize them, but also that the preached gospel is God's almighty power on display. I wonder if we ever think of the gospel like that. It is. Why is that? Because it's only through the preached word, the gospel, that sinners are changed from saints, from sinners to saints for eternity. You can take a person outside and show them the stars for a thousand years and say, look, God is creator, God is creator, God is creator, but it won't save him. You may convince them that, yeah, there is a God, but it won't save him. He needs to be pointed to the cross. He needs to be pointed to the gospel. And if you're not a Christian here today, if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, you need to see and understand that Jesus Christ came to this world and died for your sins so that you might be saved eternally. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, by the way, to, to the Roman believers in chapter 10, verse 13 and to 15, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? So if you're not a Christian here today, here's the promise. If you call upon the Lord to forgive you and to trust in him, God promises that you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Failure to recognize God's power on display. Let us never do that. The third failure that he brought to the attention of these paraphrases in Corinth was failure to recognize, God, recognize God's love being displayed. So we had God's power. We see God's love being displayed. You know, of all the hurtful things the apostle endured, it was having his love shunned and questioned by the Corinthians. And I'm sure some of you will understand that in some measure. Ever had your love shunned by someone? I'm sure you have. Even if it was only for a brief time. And here in this section, we see how they failed to recognize his love for them. And so he begins in verse 13 with a rhetorical question that it was laced with inspired sarcasm, I might say. He says, For in what respect were we less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. He wasn't really asking forgiveness, really, because 
He never treated them any differently. You know, he'd just spoken of how none of these, of the apostolic signs validating his apostleship were held back. In other words, he said, look, when I was with you, when I ministered to you, all the signs of the apostle were before my I didn't hold anything back. And so now I ask, so in what way have we treated you as less or inferior to any other churches that you know about? What way? And then he continues, and I'll paraphrase this, unless my financial policy of not passing the hat around has offended you, because if that's the case, please forgive me. That's what he says. Because you'll remember he didn't ask for finance and he never took any money from them. But in this case, it was the only way the Corinthians were treated differently. They did not get a bill from the Apostle Paul. By the way, Paul had every right to expect financial support from them, right? We, have, we, we talked about that when we went through 1 Corinthians. We have that in verses 1 to 8. He had every right. But because of his freedom in Christ and because he knew the potentiality of their hearts, he chose not to. Paul was not ignorant of their prideful hearts and he cleverly reminds them that just because I never asked for money for my services like the false apostles do, because they had the idea that, well, an authentic apostle will demand a big stipend. Okay? The bigger the stipend, the more important apostle you were. And so that's, they had that kind of thinking. And so um, just because I never asked for money for my services, this does not mean I think less of you. Actually, it's exactly the opposite. This is what he says here in this text. It was because he loved them heaps more than they recognised. They didn't recognise that he loved them. And then he continues to flesh this love thing out in verses 14 and 15, what it really looked like. And he carries on and says, and don't think I'm going to change my financial policy when I visit you for a third time because you know for sure I will not ask for funds. He wasn't going to be walked over here. He was about to visit them for a third time and he says, I'm not going to change a thing. I'm still not going to expect or ask for money. Wow, wouldn't you like a pastor like that? But Paul did want something, folks. And this is the important part. He did really want something. Paul wanted something like nothing else. But it was not the Corinthians' money that he wanted. He wanted them, you see that? He wanted them. Not their possessions. He wanted their continual allegiance and devotion to Christ and their reciprocal love. But they failed to recognize his love toward them. After all, Paul says in verse 14, you are my children. He explains this. You are my children. You, you, you are those whom I have led to the Lord. And just as earthly children are obligated to save up for their parents, it's the parents' responsibility to care for the children. By the way, you adult children, this is not an excuse for you to carry on bludging off your parents, right? You parents, if they are adult and bludging, kick them out and tell them to go and earn their wages like the Bible commands. No such thing as laziness in the Christian church. The Bible forbids it. And so Paul challenges them and their recognition of his love for them. He pours out his heart. He says that I'll be gladly spend and be expended. Wow, what does that mean? 
This actual Greek word it was used elsewhere. You remember when Jesus was ministering and the woman came up and touched the hem of his garment? She had an issue of blood. And it says there that this woman had spent all that she had. In other words, she went to every Benjamin and every Linda and every Leah D'Souza that she could possibly think of in her day and they could not fix her and she paid out the dosh and she spent all that she had. She had nothing left. Same word here. The Apostle Paul expended everything that he had. He gave his all to these believers. Oh, well, this challenges me to the core. As one of your leaders. Actually, I had to hang and still do hang my head in shame because do I love you all like this? My prayer has been and still is, Lord, increase my love. Teach me to love more like this. You see, folks, Paul loved like who? He loved like no other person than Jesus Christ, right? Didn't he give us his all? He he absolutely did. Jesus paid it all, we sometimes sing. And all to him I owe. He's cleansed us with with, with his blood and washed us white as snow. Jesus paid it all. Then the challenge from Paul to the people, from the scripture to us. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? You see, folks, the Corinthians failed to recognize Paul's love for them. And as a result, what did their love do? Did it just sort of sit on neutral ground? No way. Love never does that. If our love is not growing and increasing, you know what it does? It diminishes. I can even say that to you married folks. If your love for your spouse is not growing and increasing and deepening and becoming more mature, it will diminish. It never sits neutral. And this is what happened at Corinth. They didn't recognize his love Paul's love for them and so their love for the Apostle Paul and even for Christ, the the true Saviour in the Gospel, diminished. My challenge for you this morning is that our love for Christ, owing to his immeasurable, sacrificial, fully expended love for our souls, owing to his love that, that he has for us, may our love never go backward but increase in love for him because, you know, it's only as our love increases for Christ will our love increase for one another. And it's the same for leaders. It's the same for me. And it's only as my love increases for Christ and my appreciation and my value and my recognition of his love, something that we've had a little taste of here this morning already, will my love increase for you. Because if we fail to recognize something of the width and depth and height of our love for Christ, it will diminish. In closing, may we recognize with submission and godly honor those whom God has appointed over us. Number two, may we recognize God's almighty power is on display when his word is preached by faithful messages. 
And thirdly, may we recognise the love of Christ and that of our leaders have for us. And may we increase in reciprocal love for them. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts and our heads before you this morning. And Father, we look at our love for you and for one another and we know we fall short. But Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity of learning something of the Apostle Paul's love for people can only be measured because of his devotion and loyalty and love to you. So Lord, our prayer, each one, is increase our love for you, O Lord. May our love drive us to the scriptures. May our love drive us to prayer. May our love drive us to serving one another just as it did of our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. He came to serve, not to be served. And so, Father, give us a heart of love for Christ and for one another. Protect this church and may its leaders be strong and may its leaders also increase in love for the people. May we continue to preach the word because, Father, the, the gospel of the Bible, your gospel, is the power, your power that is displayed because it's what saves souls. So, Father, help us in this, we pray as we continue our journey here. These things we would ask in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.